Yeah, so, so we go from, you know, defeated at one end, where we are beyond vulnerable. We, we feel powerless in an uncertain world. That's, that's, that's the low point. And that's the low point, whether it's in the markets or in life. And the, the challenge is most people think that that's the beginning of when it's going to get bad. They don't realize that, you know, bankruptcy is the low. And, and so there, there's a bookend to, to lows and confidence. It's when we feel defeated. And that's the last time you should give up because history shows that that's, that's the bottom. You know, you, you've reached that point. And if you if you just hold on long enough, things do improve. You're listening to the Steady Trade Podcast, a podcast that inspires traders to make meaningful strides and pursue their passions. Your hosts are Tim Bowen, the lead trainer at Stocks to Trade Pro, Kim Ann Curtin, the Wall Street coach, and Steven Johnson, the up and coming trader who's always willing to learn. Together, we'll sit down with experts to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned, and discuss how all traders can level up their trading careers. Welcome back to the Steady Trade Podcast. Today, it's Tim Bowen and myself to interview Peter Atwater. And I'm really excited to put him in front of you traders because you guys are going to learn so much from him. A little bit about Peter. Uh, he basically, I mean, he is something called an economist. Not an economist. I'm saying it wrong, Peter, right out of the gate. Say it for me. Socionomist. Socio socionomist. See, it's really hard to pronounce because I have all these other words in my head. It's a term I've never heard prior to meeting Peter, uh, but he is also the president of Financial Insights, a consulting firm that advises institutional investors, corporations, and public policymakers on issues affecting the financial services industry. He's also adjunct professor for William Mary and the University of Delaware. After having had a successful career in financial services, including 13 years at JP Morgan, Peter put his attention towards socionomics and how changes in social mood drive changes in our behavior. That's the part that you really want to pay attention to traders because of what's happening right now in the markets, <laughs> this man will be able to help you understand what's going on and how to plan for what's ahead. He's author of the book, which is what we're going to be primarily talking about today, Mood and Markets. And it's packed with fascinating research and insight in how markets measure mood. And it's an incredible resource for anybody who is an investor or a trader. Peter, thank you for coming on this in this conversation today. I'm so excited to have you here. Great to see you again, Kamanda. Nice to meet you, Tim. Yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah. First, explain the word I couldn't even pronounce at the start <laughs> of this, so people have context for what that even is about. Sure. So socionomics is a concept that was really developed by Bob Prechter. Uh, folks may know Prechter if they're traders because of his work with Elliott Wave, um, but Bob early on discovered that there was a lot of association to what people were doing outside of the markets with what was going on inside the markets. And so he really developed a school of thought focused on the interplay between social mood, how we feel more broadly, uh, the markets and uh, what we do uh, culturally, politically, socially, it all ties together. 
You know, when I, I was very fortunate to get to interview you for my podcast, and one of the things that you talked about was how closely you watch Twitter. Would you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. I think there's nothing better than Twitter as somebody who looks at mood 24 seven. Um, and, and, you know, what I love so much about Twitter is folks on Twitter think it and say it. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah actually I would, I would interject. And I think that maybe you flip it. It's like, you say, you know, it's like, it's like shoot first and ask questions later. You know, it's more like you say it, then you think, well, should I have sent that or not? But <laughs> yeah. And so that, that impulsiveness, Tim is really valuable because it, it measures just how people feel, what they're thinking all simultaneously, you know, give me those bold cap tweets. Uh, <laughs> that, that is, that is a, you know, a story in itself. And so, particularly today when we have these very fast moving markets, you can see the Twitter activity um, really coinciding with, with price moves. So people feel great, prices are rising, you know, and then there's this crescendo of tweets that often coincides with major turning points in, in stocks. Um, you know, we're, we're doing this on June 2nd. It's been fun today to watch all the tweeting going on with perfect, AMC. Perfect day for this discussion. Yeah. With, yeah. with, with just for, for those listening, the context, you know, AMC went, uh, you know, AMC, one of the number one meme stonks, as we call them, which is still, you know, just you know, it cracks me up that, that we that we have serious conversations about this, but um, went went full parabolic today. Went went you know yesterday was wild, but went from thirty to seventy today, and is still in the mid sixties. And we're recording with like three hours left in the day, so who knows what could still happen? So, right, yeah. What's there? Uh, were you finishing something there, Sorry. Peter? I thought. No, I mean, I mean. The, okay. The interesting thing, and, and folks, you know, researchers have done a, a lot of work on this, but you can see that our sentiment in Twitter gets quickly reflected in the markets. You know, we think it, we say it, and then we act on it. It's a, it's a pretty natural progression. Um, and and that, that, to me, makes it, makes it such valuable tool in the work that I do. And if, as mo our entire audience are day traders. A lot of them are penny stock traders. How could they take this uh, perspective and apply it to just their day-to-day -day trading? So I think that it's really important that folks not get enveloped by the mood on Twitter to, to be able to distance yourself and to step back and say, what is this saying about sentiment? Because so often we get wrapped up in it and you know, people are tweeting back and forth, they're DMing and they forget to stop and say, whoa, what, what did I just do? What was I thinking? What does that say about how I feel? Because particularly in a social network like, like Twitter, you're rarely alone with those feelings. And so to be able to say, hey, I'm not the only one who feels this way. If everybody feels this way, that is what typically marks an extreme in sentiment. And an extreme in sentiment on either end is actually a kind of forecasting of what's to come. So talk more about that, please. Yeah, so, so at extremes in sentiment, we do some amazing extrapolation. Um, you know, at the top, we just think it's going to keep going higher vertically forever. And at the bottom, it's just going to continue to suck forever. Mm -hmm. And, and those sentiments, 
you can see in the charts simultaneously with what you can see in prices. So again, we're, we're talking on a day where AMC, as, as Tim just said, has gone parabolic and nothing draws moths like a lantern, <laughs> like a price chart that's going vertical. And so I'm, I'm watching that chart knowing that it is drawing in every person in the neighborhood that, that is interested in trading the name. And, and in counterintuitively, it, that becomes a very dangerous scenario because what I know is that parabolic moves exhaust. They draw everybody in. So all of the demand is now on the table. You know, people have put all the chips out there that are going to you know, that are going to be placed. And that that's, you know, being able to look at a price chart and follow it with Twitter, you can see, you know, when the, when the crowd rushes in. And so how would you suggest that some, how does for yourself in your own investing and your own trading, how do you operate when you see that happening? So what I'm then looking for is the exhaustion point. So you know, I, I've learned long ago that nothing exceeds like excess. <laughs> so, so you never want to step in front of the, the parabolic move. You, you, you want to wait until you see that, that long tail at the top or the long tail at the bottom to realize that the crowd has, you know, the crowd has evaporated and has begun to move on. And, and one of the unique things about the past 18 months, maybe even two years, is the frequency with which we've seen what I call flash mobs with money, yep. where the crowd, like yeah. <laughs> you know, the crowd suddenly shows up, whether it's Tilray, Hertz, Nicola, you know, there, there have been lots of these, but it only lasts a moment, you know, GameStop in January. And so you have to realize that this is a very fast moving crowd and that if you're late, you're gonna catch the tail end of it thinking that it's just the beginning. Yeah, yeah. There's a, the first chapter of your book, you talk about what social mood is and what it isn't. Uh, and you speak about too often, we associate markets with emotion. And I believe being able to distinguish mood and its characteristics from emotion creates an enormous advantage. Uh, I look, and then you go on to explain that. Talk a little bit about that, the difference between the characteristics of emotion versus uh, mood. So I look at emotion as a reaction. Something causes us to smile, to cry, to laugh. You know, that all of the emotions that we have are in response to something. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's an after effect, it's a consequence. And we, too often view it as an input. We don't see it as the result of something. And when you're operating you know, behaviorally, what you're looking for is what's the input. And that input is mood. That's how we feel at our core. It may predispose us to laugh more or cry more, but it's, the, it's that mood that's gonna drive what's behavior is to come. You know, we act as we feel. So to be able to understand our mood is, is to give us insight into what we are likely to do next. Mm -hmm. and, and mood 
and behavior is really clearly connected. I mean, it, it's incredibly consistent. If we're in a you know, low mood, there are a dozen things I know we're gonna do. If we're in a high mood, I know there are, you know, there are lots of things that we do. Name some, name some. They're predictable. All right, so low mood. We're gonna divide, we're gonna fight. We are going to have what I call zero sum thinking. We're gonna believe the world is finite, right. which means you want at my expense. Yep. So we, we don't see an ever growing pot of gold. We see a, a very small amount. And if you've got it, I don't. So, you know, there, there's, some, there's some hostility there and I'm gonna blame you too. Um, we're naturally xenophobic, things that are foreign uh, in any dimension. Um, we're afraid of them, we don't like them. Uh, we, we want our world to be concrete. Uh, you know, yeah, we, I, I have a, one of my favorite Joe Rogan quotes and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm like a Joe Rogan quote machine, but you know, just as you mentioned that it's one of my favorites because he always makes this point. He's like, up until a hundred years ago, if someone showed up on a boat on your shore, it was going to get really bad, you know, <laughs> it, it, you know, it, you know, up until, you know, there weren't cruise ships 200 years ago. Okay. If, if you saw a boat coming, it was, you were going to war. And I think, you know, <laughs> you just wanted to make that point that, that that's why I think it's ingrained for thousands of years. When that other showed up, it usually wasn't going to be good, you know? Yeah. And, and so, you know, we are naturally, you know, we naturally contract, when we, when our confidence is low yeah. and, you know, and we contract not only geographically, Tim, but in terms of our time frames, everything is very short term. We don't think strategically, we don't plan. Um, we're very reactive. Uh, and, and even um, socially, we're, we're again, very divisive. Um, and, and so there's, there's these dimensions. I, ca I call it me here now thinking. You know, we, everything has got to be concrete for us to understand it and to be comfortable with it. And if it is at all abstract, we toss it away. And that me here now thinking is the one extreme of your measuring stick. Yep. So talk about the other side of that measuring stick as well. S Sure. So at extremes in confidence, when we feel really great, it's about us. We're generous. Um, hey, ape, apes together strong, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, we compromise. We, we work as, as a team. We, um, there, there's, a, there's a sense of, of expansiveness. So, you know, when we're extremely confident, these are the times when we go to Mars, when we, you know, we, we travel, we, we enter those foreign countries that we would otherwise have been afraid of. So it's that, that reverse, um, you know, you can see it in terms of globalization, you know, the whole mindset of FedEx, you know, you can get it from anywhere at any time. That, that mindset is an extreme high confidence mindset. So that interdependence is something that you see only in environments of, of peak mood. So it's us everywhere forever. There's a sense of permanence to it too, you know, that, it, that it's unshakable. This is going to last forever. 
Um, you really saw that at the peak in 2000, um, again in 2007. But it's it's this mindset that you know that his really really robust futuristic very positive outlook. You know, it's interesting. So from from a you know an old school you know I'm a 15 year penny stock guy. You know that's it. You know junk momentum one and done type stocks. So it's, I love this because it's, it's, it's such a, it's much more of a well thought out than my caveman explanation of, of the mood of the market. So a lot of the listeners know, you know, I'll, we, I'll talk about what I called that golden age of short selling. And that was, you know, in my opinion, and, and maybe you get, you guys will agree or not, but you know, when I got started, it was 2007, it was 2008, the mood very, you know, very low around the markets, you know, market crash, bank collapses, you know, automakers going bankrupt, all this stuff. So there was that, and I'm going to butcher how you said it, that, that me mindset, you know, where it was just, I always called them one and done. If you had any type of spiker, it would start to fade late, late day. And then everyone, there was no confidence. No, you would, everyone would rush to the exits. We would short into that you know, and, and, and then that would just work and work and work. Then conversely, you know, I talk about that kind of, we had a little bit of a lull 2013, 14, 15, then we get into 2016. And now it's that we mindset. And it's in a particularly like in penny stocks, it's like this us versus the short seller type idea. And, you know, you've now here we are four or five years later, and it's kind of become the joke with the meme stocks and the diamond hands and apes together strong and all this stuff. But there is that mindset out there now, exactly like you said, where it's like it's us versus them versus it's back in 2008, 2009. It was just me, man. I was going to smash and grab whatever I could get short in these penny stocks. So, so love it. It's interesting to, to just kind of see that and, and, and explain much better than I ever could. And, and to your point, Tim, you know, we're, we're at that other end of the spectrum where everything seems to work. Yep. <laughs> so, so, you know, especially the last 16 months. Yeah. Right. You, you can do no wrong. And yeah. so it be, yep. and so you get a lot of folks who think, well, this is just normal. Yep. It's like, no, 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 no. This, what we, what we're experiencing today typically only happens towards the very tail end of the party. Yep. And so to me, it's, it's a cautionary message that, hey, if you've made a lot of money and you know you are not somebody who thinks of yourself as a professional investor, you, you've become a day trader, you've made a lot of money. You know, having lived through the dot-com bubble, having watched people flipped houses for a living in 2005, I know that this behavior only happens towards the very tail end. And the challenge is that tail end is when there's a boatload of money made. And so nobody wants to leave that party early. Right. They, they just want to keep going back to the bar and saying, you know, if I had a single, make it a double. Yep. Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the media and about art and how those are also red flags along the way. This is fascinating. And I can't wait to talk about this with Tim because Tim and I are always kind of, you know, kind of going back and forth about the media. And one of the things, Peter, you taught me about the media is that I used to think the media was 
trying to trigger us. And what you've taught me is that we are triggering the media. Talk about that. Yeah, if you're in the media business, you're no different than a book publisher, a movie maker. Your job is to draw eyeballs. Right. You want people to read what you're publishing, what you're putting on television. And so it has to resonate. And I look at the media as a very large mirror. Yep. Um, it is expressing exactly how we feel. And so if I pick up the Wall Street Journal in the morning, I'm reading it to see what is news, what's on the front page, because things don't naturally land on the front page randomly. You know, that, that's incredibly pricey real estate. And so typically you only see things on the front page that are near to an extreme. So I'm gonna pick one, for example, from this morning. If you were to look at the front page of the print edition of the Wall Street Journal, there are two articles that relate to oil. Both of them related to it, it being high price. And so that's a sign to me that, that oil is reaching an, a, a potential turning point. Does it mean today? I don't know. But it means that a lot of the money that's been made in this process is already behind us. Wow. And, and so I think you want to be really careful to not get seduced by the media. You know, there it's basically telling you where we are in the progression. Right. Yeah. And let's talk about art and let's talk about the books that we spoke about that came out in sync, not the band, but we can talk about that band, but in sync with the mood that was startling to me, the timing of a couple of books that we talked about. So talk about that. Yeah, so I teach a class where we, we look at a lot of different behaviors. My, two of my favorite classes are on the media, the one on the media and the other on music. So let's, let's talk about the media and particularly books. And, and here you can see um, our minds at work. And my favorite example is Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. So Harry Potter comes out at the peak of the dot-com bubble. It's futuristic, it's fantastical, it's really highly imagination and it's bright. Mm -hmm. As you watch the arc of Harry Potter, it gets darker and darker and darker. In fact, there, you can actually see people have taken the coloring of Harry Potter and you can see visually from, from wow. one sequel to the next, it just gets visually darker. Wow. What was so interesting to me is, Everybody gets done reading Harry Potter. It's not dark enough. So what do we go to next? Well, we go to the Twilight series, you know, all the vampire books. And this is now we're, we're getting into the, the, the crash of the financial crisis. And my favorite, you know, even that wasn't dark enough as, as you know, Bear Stearns and Wamu and, you know, these other banks fail. But you want to know what book comes out on the weekend Lehman Brothers collapses. And Kim knows the answer to this, Tim. So I'm gonna ask you directly. Any oh, idea? Man, um, I don't know. I, I, I you know, again, I, I, I was hoping I could come up with something, but I'm, I'm drawing a blank, so. All right, so it's the Hunger Games. Oh, fair enough. Oh man, I should have known. My wife loved them. Yep, yep. Yeah. And that's like the so, perfect, the perfect like apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, dang totally. it. I should have. Yeah, the I should have perfect got book <laughs> for the weekend that Lehman Brothers collapses. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, I, I talk regularly to 
um, high school and middle school librarians to find out what are kids reading? Because, you know, parents say, oh, my kid's reading scary books. It's making them depressed. It's like, no, no, no. Your kid's depressed and is reading these books. Sure. You know, you, you've got it backwards. Um, and teen lit is one of the coolest ways to see how we feel because kids don't have their prefrontal cortex fully developed and they just feel you know, they're, they're sort of this, this ooze of mood. Right. Um, yeah. As any, as any you know, parent of teenagers will tell you. <laughs> yeah, me too. Especially a daughter, trust me. <laughs> teenage, so, you, 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 think, you think teenage boys are bad, but try having a 15-year-old daughter. So, <laughs> I'm flat too. <laughs> so, so another angle to this is music. And music is fascinating because it really tracks sentiment well. Um, you know, I joke with my students that if they take one thing away from my class as an investor, you want to buy Adele and sell Pharrell. You know, <laughs> when the music is dark and we're rolling yeah. in the deep, yeah. that is when markets bottom. And it did in 2011. Yeah. And then you ride this wave of enthusiasm and then we're dancing to happy at, at a major peak in mood. Right. Yeah. And, and what was interesting to me last year, you know, this is even before the pandemic has hit. You, you look at what happened at the Grammys and Taylor Swift loses badly to Billie Eilish, who is, you know, much darker, right. you know, much, darker. much more of an indie performer and is, you know, doesn't have enough arms to carry all the, all the, tr the trophies and awards that night. And that is very typical where you'll see culture preceding mood more broadly. The, you know, those who are in the arts feel it, act on it ahead of the crowd. Yep. They're not afraid to be outsiders. Yeah, that, and again, well, you so know, I know powerful. I already told that story, but you know, you know, it's basically recapping what I said a few minutes ago. I mean, it's just, I just remember that mood market wise, you know, again, 2007 to that, like 2012. I mean, it was like just everyone hated stocks. Like in, and I call them civilians, you know, people that like yeah. aren't trade, aren't active day traders, you know, and then you reverse that to 2020. And it's like, I mean, we've, we've did 10 podcasts talking about this. I mean, I used to like people knew I actively traded. They knew what that would do that I did. They would never ask, me, you know, or, you know, they might hint at it, but like this last year and a half, I mean, I got like kids that I used to coach in little league calling me for stock picks. I'm like, where is this coming from? You know? And, and that's just that, that mood again, that, that wasn't happening in 2009 and everyone still, I knew I was a full-time trader back then. So. No, I mean, I, I had students last, you know, in, in February, 2020, you know, trading Tesla options, you know, while I'm trying to teach. <laughs> and, and I knew we got things got a little extreme when one of them came up to me after class and he says, Professor, you know, trading these options is getting boring. I, I think I need to move into E-minis next. <laughs> and it's like, okay, there's a sentiment indicator. For exactly. You. <laughs> so talk a little bit about how socionomics and when you first got exposed to it, you did not give it any kind of credence. You thought, no. And then what opened your eyes to it, just so people have context? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't fall in love with this, you know, on a, on a first date. I mean, this is, this is something that I really struggled with because having, you know, been educated as an economist and having worked in the markets, 
you know, that the, the sense is that, you know, you're in control, that, that, you know, your mood follows how you feel. I mean, economists talk about the wealth effect and, you know, so often it's a, it's a result. And, and so I really struggled with, you know, the, this argument, but, you know, after the banking crisis, and I started to read how people were characterizing what happened. I kept thinking, no, 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 this is, there's a lot of baloney in this. Um, and I kept coming back to overconfidence and, and collective overconfidence, the banks, people borrowing money, you know, everybody had a, had a, a role in, in the disaster. And the more I thought about it, the more it became clear that it was the confidence that caused us to do what we did. Mm. And so that really led me down a rabbit hole to better understand what confidence is. Um, and this is where I think um, so much of our thinking is flawed. Um, you know, I think we have a generation or two of people who think that confidence is really self-confidence. That it's it's self-esteem. It's you know how you feel about yourself. It's it's the, it's the secret, maybe. Yeah, it's the, yeah. You can't be <laughs> successful without it. You gotta you gotta believe in yourself. Yeah. And and I kind of say, well, you know, if the pandemic has shown you anything, it should have shown you that all the self-confidence in the world didn't help you when the pandemic approached. That the pandemic is you know confidence is not about you. It's about how you perceive yourself in the world around you. And, and there are a couple of aspects to this. One is it's about certainty. What's ahead? Is it predictable? Can you see it? Can you feel it? Do you know what's coming? Is there a path? The other aspect is, do you have control? Will you have control? Um, and we need both. Yeah, and, and, and I'll tell you why, you know, if I have certainty, but no control, that, that's what defines an airplane ride. Right. And, and if the plane starts to get turbulent, I immediately know that, that you are not confident. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I would, you know, again, and I fly a lot, and flying doesn't bother me, but you, you hit bumps on a plane and you get nervous where if you were driving, you'd be like, you wouldn't even pay attention at the same bump, but it's got, it's that lack of control. Ultimately you've got the steering wheel. So you're like, ah, whatever. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're looking out that window. All you can see is the ocean. You're like, okay, what's going on out there? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so we, we have to have both. Otherwise we feel vulnerable. And the same thing goes with, with having, you know, control, but no certainty. Um, you know, that, that's a very uncomfortable position where, you know, you're halfway up a, a rock wall, you know, you're climbing, you're in total control, but you don't have certainty until you get to the top. Right. So, yeah. so there's a vulnerability to having one and not the other. And, and so I, what I look for in, in a lot of environments is, do we have certainty? Do we have control? Do we feel like we have too much then is justifiable? Do we have too little? And we're, you know, I, I think we suffer from underconfidence as much as we suffer from overconfidence. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, it's, that's kind of one of those things that I kind of hammer on a lot. I, I mean, I think I am, you know, 
I've, I've done a lot of things. I've had a lot of different careers. I've had businesses. I've had a bunch of different jobs. I think sometimes I, I have a little too much confidence, but I think that in the world, and I'm not one of these old guys that like bashes younger generations, but it just seems like there's, there's a, there's a lessening of that confidence that you have control. I mean, I've always thought back, I mean, I was working, you know, delivering pizzas and I always felt like, you know, I was in control. I could, you know, I could, I could make this work over time. I knew I wouldn't be delivering pizzas forever, but I see so many people out there that just don't have that confidence that they are in control. And so how do you, you know, if you're not quote unquote cocky, like I am, how do you, how do you build that? So, you know, if you reframe things, Tim, in terms of certainty and control, then you can have a conversation with somebody about, so how would you, what do you need to do to feel more in control? And, and that's tactical. That's, that's yeah. something, you know, you can do something about, you know, right. I would feel more in control if I did this or this happened. Um, and then that becomes a powerful way for folks to realize that, you know what, I need to do something. If I'm not, if I'm not doing something to gain control, then I'm going to remain feeling vulnerable. Yeah. And that's that, that, you know, I, I steal a lot of stuff from Navy SEALs, especially like Jocko Willink and stuff. And that's that, you know, and I've always had this, you know, it's that default aggressive mentality. You know, it's like, it's like, what can I do to improve my situation right now? That that's the way I approach things. And, and again, that that's what I, I try and tell people, especially, you know, young people. I mean, especially if you're young, man, yeah. it's just, especially now, I mean, you can yeah. learn anything. There's so much opportunity. And I, I just hate the negativity of when I see that. And, and that's why I asked the question. So, well, yeah, and I've done a lot of um, interviewing of emergency room docs yep. because they sort of like your Navy SEALs are constantly yep. in an environment where they have no certainty and no control. Right. Yep. You know, they, they go to work knowing that at some point it's going to get hairy unexpectedly. And, you know, it's really interesting the things that they talk about in terms of regaining control. You know, they, they, one is you never, you never stop trying to do that. So there is no static environment in an emergency room. It's, it's improve, you know, the condition, prevent it from getting worse. Um, they, they talk openly about Hey, I don't understand this. I don't know this. You know, there, there's a much more greater collaborative environment than people who don't have control feel comfortable saying, hey, I don't have this in, in, their, in their own lives. It's like, no, you need to talk about that. You need to, to you know, be honest. Hey, I don't, I don't have control here. I don't have certainty so that folks can, you know, can, can help you to, to regain that. Um, the other thing that they do is they have routines. They have really strict processes. They know how to act at all times. Mm. And, and, you know, we don't think about the importance of habits enough, mm. but they are, you know, having really powerful, good habits, whether it's, you know, exercise or, you know, what you do every day, those habits are giving you certainty and control to your life. Wow. Yeah. One of the, uh, you know, and again, I know, uh, you know, I've, I've, I, you know, I think of like, when, when, when like a lot of people were young in the eighties and stuff, they had like a picture of Farrah Fawcett on their wall. 
you know, I've got like a, a picture of Jocko Willink on my wall, you know, and, and the biggest thing I look back when I found him and, and this was always kind of my methodology, but you know, he has that, that so counterintuitive tagline he uses that discipline equals freedom. And every, you know, everyone is always like, they're always baffled by that. And they're like, well, he has to do the same thing. This, you know, he has to work out, has to get up, has to have this meal, has to do all these things. Well, that's not freedom. But his point is, if you do all those things, if you follow that routine, if you take care of the things that need to be done, all of a sudden it's two in the afternoon and you're like, hey, I, you know, I got the rest of the day to go surfing like he does, you know. And I think that that is something that, you know, again, when you're trying to get in, again, me as a caveman here, to the listener out there, if you're trying to get control of your situation, the more you can square things away and the more you can get in that routine and take care of what needs to be done earlier in the day, get it done. And then all of a sudden your stress level lowers, you get more done. You got more time to think, you got more time to spend time with families and, and do all these things. So. For sure. Yeah. And think about what does it mean in your life to feel like you have control? Yes. What does it mean to feel like you have certainty? You know, the, the, because the, the consequences is, is scarcity that you don't have enough of something and being really clear, you know, I don't have enough of this. And then what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, can we revisit the scale? Uh, what is the name to that scale of those two measurements? The, the, the confidence spectrum. Yes. The confidence spectrum. Yeah. So, so we go from, you know, defeated at one end where we are beyond vulnerable. We, we feel powerless in an uncertain world. That's, that's, that's the low point. Mm -hmm. And that's the low point, whether it's in the markets or in life. And the, the challenge is most people think that that's the beginning of when it's going to get bad. Yeah. They don't realize that, you know, bankruptcy is the low. Yeah. And, and so there, there's a bookend to, to lows and confidence. It's when we feel defeated. And that's the last time you should give up because history shows that that's, that's the bottom. Yeah. You know, you, you've reached that point. Yeah. And if, you're, if you just hold on long enough, things do improve. Yeah. And, and the, the challenge is that from a perception standpoint, those moments feel incredibly slow, very drawn out. Mm. And so psychologically, we, we do ourselves a disadvantage. We, we don't, it's like, no, this, this moment will pass. Yeah. Yeah. At the other end of the spectrum, you know, when we feel not just overconfident, we feel invincible. Mm. And invincibility is to me, the ultimate deception. Mm. It's when we feel we have certainty and control in everything. Right. And you know, we, we are unjustifiably cocky. We're too sure. And we are making decisions with the perception that nothing can go wrong, that there are no risks. It only goes up and only gets better. And so I, I love headlines of invincibility. I love to watch some of these folks on CNBC and Bloomberg, you know, who are, you know, chest puffed out and, you know, they're the cover of a magazine, you know, we, we deify them. Yeah. 
We do. And, and I, I look for that. I, it's like, whoa, okay, this is, this is somebody who is ripe for a banana peel, doesn't realize it, nor do the folks around him or the investors in his business. Um, you know, it, it's striking how frequently. Martin Screlly. Martin Screlly would be a good example. Screlly. You know, yeah. You know, he was, he was king of the world, you know, and, and then, and then all of a sudden, that came to a screeching halt real fast. <laughs> yeah, and you have, you have a bunch of, you know, dot-com celebrities yep. who were the same yep. way, the same folks in housing. You know, they're, they're right out of central casting. They, they are the, the invincible. Even Elon Musk, we talked that you, you I think when yeah, you were he's an remember? But, he, but he, Elon, he spoke, Elon is not from this earth, so he's but he but he spoke to him being kind of not of this earth and how he was looking so invincible, and that gave Peter the heads up that there was about to be a correction before there was a correction. Yeah, you, you start to see these you know messianic figures, yep. um, particularly in the investment world. And you know, what's so fascinating to me about Musk is he is the Kevin Bacon of all of these different yep. themes. You know, it, it's solar, it's space, it's cryptocurrency, it's, you know, EVs. You know, he's, he's at the intersection of them all. Yep. Um, yeah. And I just think it speaks to the, the power that we ascribe, that the crowd ascribes to him. Sure. Mm -hmm. and, and am I correct that... Uh, you were thinking like at the time because there was there was something else that came out about him that was you know positive and i thought you were when we were talking you were like that was to you that the top the top of it's what probably when he was. smoked weed with rogan no no the top to me <laughs> the, the real top to me was was when he went on snl yeah yeah uh, I, and i agree because that's yeah, he like was, to me that was the, and the as much first, as a I'm such a fanboy of his, but I'm like, well, even me as being a huge fanboy, I'm like, Saturday Night Live? Yeah. I'm like, Steve, you know, I grew up, a, again, a, a, a child of the 80s, so I'd always mm. idolize Steve Jobs. My very first computer was an Apple II, you know, mm. so I always... And I was like, man, Steve Jobs would never go on Saturday Night Live. So I agree with you there. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, you know, even Jack Welch, who owned, you know, GE owned NBC. He, you know, he even he didn't go on. Right, um, right. <laughs> but, but even more importantly, it speaks to me about how investing, how Musk, how all of this has become part of culture. Mm. that we've moved, this is no longer just an investing environment. This is now a cultural phenomenon. Mm. And again, that sort of behavior only happens towards the very peak when everybody and his brother is involved. And as we all know, culture is constantly evolving. We move on to what's hot next. And so I think there's, there's a risk that we are seeing a, a cultural phenomenon, you know, akin to Beatlemania, forgetting that, you know, it wasn't too long later that the Beatles were breaking up and, you know, it was, it, that was the end of the band. Yeah. 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 And that's, you know, and I, and, and I think we'll, we'll kind of start to take this home, you know, that's something that, that, you know, that when we talk about, you know, these irrational ideas, you know, and, and that's what I really try and, and bring to this podcast is, you know, as much as I love AMC from a trading standpoint, 
something I say like every day is, I mean, I'm like, listen, this is not going to end well. Okay. This, 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 this is a movie chain. I got, I got three 80 inch TVs in my house with better sound. I don't have to leave the house. Movies are going direct to streaming. I don't have to deal with parking. I don't have to deal with people. I mean, listen, it's like, you know, and, and this, and GameStop, I mean, this is not going to end well. And recognize the trading opportunities but these aren't long long-term holds and that's I, that's where i you know the diamond hand things i joke about it but there's people that believe that i mean they they believe amc is going to a thousand and i'm like mm-hmm. it ain't go- now it might go to a hundred it might go to a hundred but yeah. it ain't going to a thousand and if you can recognize that and just take take your piece of the pie you know if you got 20 percent day trade it, you know, if you got 30%, 40%, but don't get into this idea that, you know, you're going to take your hundred thousand dollar house and sell it for a million, or you're going to buy six houses and turn them into that. And, and I think that's, or, or Doge is going to a dollar, you know, and, and if you can, and, and I think that's, again, what I try and bring to the podcast is I've been through the ringer more times I care to admit in 15 years is I'm happy with my 20%. I'm happy with 30. I'm happy with 10, you know, and just try and repeat that. And don't become the last guy holding the bag when the thing comes screeching to a halt, you know? Yeah, you know, your thousand dollar point on AMC is a good one because I, I step back and say, when did people start to say that? <laughs> well, they, they only started to say it in the last week. Yep. <laughs> and so, you know, and it's not, you know, this is, this is you know, a, a 20, 30, 40, $50 stock that people are putting a 20x price target on. Yep. So that that extreme extrapolation, that pure vertical, you know, it's it's going to the moon is always an indicator to me that we're nearing the end of that party. Mm-hmm. Now, the now the one, the one thing I will, and this will be kind of my last last question. I'll let, I'll let yeah. Kim and you wrap yeah. it up. Now, again, you've been around, I've been around, you know, the, the only thing, the only thing that makes me doubt it is again, you know, it's like you look at, you know, again, that the army, you know, of, of hundred dollar accounts. And, you know, it's like, that's the one thing. And again, I'm just going to take, I'm just going to nibble on the way up and I'll nibble on the way down. The one thing that I think we'll look back on history possibly is just, I mean, I don't, I, you know, there was never a time that I know and I've pretty well read in finance where you had millions and millions of people, you know, against you know the fat cats or what he whatever you want to call it so it's going to be it's definitely going to be unique i think where this goes and what happens with the 10 million or 30 million or 50 million robin hooders because it's just you just it's never happened in the past that i know of so no and and so i i look at that and say so how much bigger can the army get right so, so you're using terms that immediately catch my ear to say, <laughs> he's talking about a boatload of people already engaged in this. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's, it's not like. So who's left? Yeah. Who's left? Yeah. <laughs> and, and who's left wow. to me? When, the- when, when you think about, you know, what, 70% of the world lives on a dollar a day or yeah. whatever, you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to me, the most important two words in finance, you know, who's left? Right, right. <laughs> That's because- such a good catchphrase. <laughs> who's left? Oh, my God. So wait a minute. So that potentially means that even like Robin Hood is at its max of participants 
participants who are going to come into that. Yeah, and I and I'm sure, Kim Ann, anybody listening to this is going to look at me like I've got six heads <laughs> because they've they've watched the trajectory of Robinhood and yeah. and these other these other you know platforms, and and this is where you know it, it, again it, it's tempting to get caught up in all of the emotion. Yeah. To say, you know, gosh, you know, they, they, they're nowhere in all of these other countries. There's, you know, all of this additional possibility. But Robinhood to me is a reflection of sentiment. Oh, People are only going to use Robinhood because they're excited to buy and they see the potential, enormous potential ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is where the expectations of return have to be extreme to maintain this energy, <laughs> right? You know, pe people forget that being manic is exhausting. Yep. You know, it, it just depletes so much energy to maintain this, this incredible cycle of energy. Yeah. And it also makes you struggle with when things get stabilized you don't know how to be in a stabilized environment because you only know the extremes of the emotion oh i've talked about it you know again with these daily live streams that i do i mean i mean it like like you know two weeks ago market was in the dump and there was like you know there was like no 80 percent runners and like the the chats just lighten up is it over is it over i'm like would you people just relax i'm like it's one day because like you said kim they're like freaking out because they're sitting there, it's 8.30, and there's not, you know, there's not 10, 100% gainers. And I'm like, Actually. geez, oh, Pete, it's one day, you people. <laughs> but, but they don't, they, I'm, they I'm don't freak here, out. Yeah, I'm sitting here laughing because you're using the term, you know, 80% runner. <laughs> you know, like, like that is just, you know, that just happens every day. <laughs> In 2020, it did. Yeah. In 2020, <laughs> it did. And, and that's the extraordinary environment that you need to step back and say, you know what? These are the salad days. These are, these are the mm. things, these are the moments that don't come along every day. Enjoy it while it lasts. Yep. And be prepared for it not being here. And how are you going to navigate that? Which Tim, you always encourage all of our listeners to consider because that you're like, if you want to be here for the distance, you can't just think it's going to be what it was in 2020. That, 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 well, well, 2012, 2013, 2014. That's always that, you know, you've heard me say it, Kim, a million times. That was those dark days, man. I just, it's like, I, it just like, I think of like the memes, like with the skeleton with like the car cobwebs on them, you know, you just sit here and just stare at this monitor. And there were days I'm like, what am I even doing sitting here? You know, and you would wait days for a good, you know, again, penny stock land, crazy nutty stuff, you know, but it was, you know, and, and, and then that just completely went away really in 2016. And then 2020, you know, is when we went vertical and we're still, I don't know, evidently we're still climbing at this point, but. <laughs> Peter, thank you. Is there any closing words that you want to speak to traders or, you know, just like one or two most important things for them to keep conscious of as they navigate where we are now? Yeah, to, to appreciate that um, what we've experienced, to, to Tim's point, since you know the beginning of 2020, is not you know this this is this feels behaviorally 
like the end of a wild party. Mm-hmm. And to just, you know, nothing can exceed like excess. Don't get me <laughs> wrong. This, this, can, this can keep going, but you want to be nimble and to recognize, um, you know, one of the, the things that I'd learned a long time ago is the price at which you buy something then creates huge bias. You buy low and and you watch it appreciate, you feel great, it's awesome, you know, and you're rising, you know, you feel rich and you're rich on paper. Yep. The danger in putting on trades now is that it works in reverse. You're buying high. Yeah. And there is nothing more debilitating than watching yourself lose money. And that feeling of stupidity and anger and frustration because your cost basis is high. And so to to recognize how you feel and to avoid putting yourself into that position, you know, make sure you know how much much pain am I prepared to endure? Because these are markets that exhaust. Perfect way to end. What you say, Tim? Yes, yes. Thank you, Peter. Um, I I tell you again, I really, really appreciate this, and um, it's so fun, you know, to kind of again to have someone that's that's way smarter, way more eloquent than me, kind of kind of put these things that I've, you know, again, I've kind of seen this stuff happen through the last fifteen years of screaming at this computer every day and punching things, and then to hear someone put it you know, in a much more well thought out and eloquent manner. I mean, it's, it's very exciting. I mean, I mean, it's, it's fun to kind of, you know, see my experience played out that way. And, 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 and again, to have someone put it so much better than I ever could. So (laughs) really enjoyed the conversation, Tim. It's been fun. Really, really amazing to have you here. Remind everybody, Peter's book is Mood and Markets. Uh, do yourself a favor and read that book. And uh, you have, you ha- do you have another book coming out, Peter, soon? I'm, I'm working on one right now. Okay, good. You let us know when it's ready and we'll have you back on, okay? That'd be awesome. And, and then that being said, to you know, if you're listening on your iPod or, or on the go, remember, always head over to SteadyTrade.com. We'll link to Peter, all of his social media, his book, everything will be linked on that. So that way you don't have to write it down. If you're on the treadmill or you're driving, go to SteadyTrade.com, get the links. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Peter. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Steady Trade Podcast.